Now, I graduated from Michigan State University with a degree in broadcast journalism. But my allegiance to the University of Michigan goes deeper than just a few years in my 20s. Nearly every summer, since before I can remember, I spent a week with my entire extended family at the University of Michigan's alumni camp on Walloon Lake. And every year, we would start the week with a rousing round of the victors. You probably know the song. That is, of course, the University of Michigan's fight song, The Victor's March. I could probably sing it in my sleep. But this one... This one, I didn't know. It's called the Block M March, and its composer attended a different summer camp in northern Michigan. We'll meet the Interlochen summer camp alum this week on the Up North Lowdown from Interlochen Public Radio. I'm Max Copeland. That interview, plus a look at what's next for the controversial Line 5 tunnel project, which recently cleared a big regulatory hurdle. But we begin with what seems like, for now anyway, the last chapter in a disturbing and ongoing story. In 2020, authorities foiled a plot to kidnap and possibly even kill Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer. The story made national news, and part of that plot unfolded just up the road in Antrim County where a group of men staked out Whitmer's vacation home near Elk Rapids. Two men were sentenced this week in an Antrim County courtroom. Sean Fix and Brian Higgins pleaded guilty to the charges against them earlier this year. And I spoke with IPR's Michael Livingston on Thursday, not long after he watched the sentences come down in court. So today we're talking about Sean Fix and Brian Higgins. Fix is a 40-year-old man from Belleville, and Higgins is 54 from Wisconsin. And both of these men were charged with the same thing we've seen in past cases, providing material support to an act of terrorism. But instead of going to trial, like we've seen with some other defendants, these men pleaded guilty earlier this year. And the result of that guilty plea is, of course, a sentencing. And the results of that sentencing today was Fix will serve three to 20 years in prison, but Higgins will get up to 36 months on probation. And uh, both actually made apologies to Whitmer before they were sentenced. So these men pleaded guilty, but I gather there was a little bit of back and forth about what their sentences would actually look like? Definitely. So in the sentencing memorandums that are filed before the court uh, date, both defense attorneys requested probation while the prosecutors requested the standard 20-year sentence for the charges. Uh, Higgins' memo had some details that definitely stuck out, though. Uh, For one, he had already spent 217 days in jails in both Wisconsin and Antrim County, and that he had experienced some very severe mental health episodes and, and even attempted uh, to take his life multiple times. He was uh, treated at Munson for those issues and uh, was later released on bond. Um, but certainly uh, those uh, were argued by his defense attorney and, and, and turned up in, in the results of his sentencing, for sure. So, Michael, can you remind us of, of where these two men actually fit into the case? Um, they were originally part of a case with three other men, right? Yeah, so folks will probably remember the trial from a few months ago that involved Eric Molitor and brothers Will- Michael and William Knoll. Uh, all of those men were acquitted by a jury. But since these men pleaded guilty instead of going to trial, that's why they got sentenced today. And Judge Charles Hamlin was very clear to make the distinction that just because there were co-defendants that were acquitted doesn't 
mean that affects the outcome for Fix and Higgins. And remember, all of these court proceedings in the state and federal court began with the arrest of 14 men in total. So all of them, uh, you know, were judged over their individual role in the plot. For Fix and Higgins, that was uh, helping to locate and surveil uh, Gretchen Whitmer's vacation home in Elk Rapids. Um, to date, nine men have been convicted, while five total have been acquitted. Sentencing hearings are often moments where we actually get to hear from the judge and they can share their thoughts on the case. Um, Charles Hamlin, Judge Charles Hamlin, was presiding over this for months now. Um, and did he have anything to say from the bench today? He did, yeah. Hamlin had a lot to say about the, the current state of, of polarization in our country. He spoke at length on that. Um, he said it both mind boggles and, and terrifies him. Um, he talked about social media echo chambers and, um, you know, the, the dangers that come with being uh, sort of online and, and hearing your opinions being projected back at you. Uh, he said, while everyone is, of course, entitled to their opinions, it should never escalate into talks of violence. And he made those points very clear today before the sentencing. That was IPR's Michael Livingston speaking with me earlier this week during All Things Considered about the last two sentences handed down against the people who plotted to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. A controversial proposal to build a tunnel for an oil pipeline beneath the Straits of Mackinac took a big step forward recently. The Canadian company Enbridge wants to use that tunnel to house twin pipelines, known collectively as Line 5. The lines, which right now carry crude oil and natural gas liquids, are just sitting on the lake bed between Lakes Michigan and Huron. But on December 1st, the Michigan Public Service Commission gave the go-ahead for Enbridge's project. It's a big step forward for the company's plans, but it is not the last hurdle. Enbridge still needs to get approval from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers before they move ahead with their plan. IPR climate reporter Izzy Ross spoke with IPR's Morning Edition host, Tyler Thompson, about the approval by the state's energy regulator and the community's reaction to it. Commission Chair Jan Scripps said safety was one major reason they approved this. In 2018, an anchor hit the pipelines, damaging them. And on Friday, Scripps cited that incident as an example of how vulnerable they were. Fortunately, the pipeline didn't rupture in that case, but there's no guarantee we'd be so lucky the next time. It's clear we need to get those pipelines, pipelines off the bottomlands and out of the Great Lakes. Other Enbridge pipelines have ruptured multiple times, and for that reason and others, many opponents want the pipeline shut down completely. What were some of those reactions to this decision? It was obviously applauded by Enbridge. Spokesperson Ryan Duffy said in an emailed statement that the permit was a major step in the project. Lawmakers like Harbor Springs Republican Senator John DeMoose posted news releases cheering it on as well. DeMoose claimed it would help with energy security in the Upper Peninsula. But many people were deeply disappointed and angry, and they showed up to Friday's meeting of the commission to say so. Here's Andrea Pierce. She's a citizen of the Little Traverse Bay Bands of Odawa Indians and chair of the Anishinaabek Caucus. Seriously, you are supposed to protect the Great Lakes, protect us. These pipelines and, uh, and tunnels are going to go through my tribal lands, to my people's lands, to my community. And I think that's just rehensible. I think what you've done here is just negligence, complete and utter negligence. That sentiment was echoed throughout the public meeting, with people saying this threatened their health, their communities, and the environment. 
Yeah, you mentioned there have been spills from Enbridge pipelines. In 2010, Line 6B spilled 840,000 gallons of oil into a tributary of the Kalamazoo River. But climate change is also factoring into this debate, right? Yeah, so the 70-year-old pipeline transports more than 22 million gallons of oil per day from northern Wisconsin through Michigan to Ontario. Opponents of the tunnel project say this permit shows that the state will continue to rely on fossil fuels even as the climate crisis worsens. This was the first time the commission had to consider climate impacts when making a decision about a project like this, and as part of that process, environmental groups did submit expert testimony to the commission showing the impact of the tunnel on fossil fuel emissions. And on Friday's scripts, the commission chair did acknowledge that a transition away from fossil fuels is taking place. He mentioned the energy legislation recently signed into law by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, which requires that the state transition to 100 percent clean energy by 2040, not too far away. But he says the state still relies on oil and natural gas. So what's next? Well, first off, Enbridge is facing a lot of legal challenges. It's defying an order from Governor Gretchen Whitmer to shut down Line 5's pipelines in the Straits that spurred lawsuits between state officials and the company. Bay Mills Indian Community passed a resolution to banish Line 5 from tribal lands. Among other things, they're citing threats to treaty rights, resources, and ways of life. They're also challenging a separate permit from the State Department of Energy, Great Lakes, and the Environment. And Enbridge can't move forward again unless the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers grants the project a federal permit. That's expected in 2026. Before then, the Corps needs to determine the environmental impacts of the tunnel project. A draft of those findings is expected in the spring of 2025. That's IPR's Izzy Ross speaking with Tyler Thompson. The story comes to us through a partnership with Grist. You can learn more about them at grist.org. We'll be right back. Getting bogged down by how much new music there is out there? There's a lot. Consider a daily dose of the All Songs Considered podcast. It's the easiest way to get tuned into the music world. We spend hours combing through the new music universe, from emerging bands to time-tested icons, to bring you your next favorite artist. To get up on your music know-how, listen to All Songs Considered from NPR. In the Great Lakes region, we often think of invasive species coming from other places, like Asia. But what about species from here, invading other parts of the world? Now, in Lake Biwa, we can find many North American species like bluegill, largemouth bass, red swamp crayfish, and American bullfrog. Next time on Points North, we focus on one species the Great Lakes exported and explore how it shows we have more in common than we might realize. That episode of Points North is now available. You can listen to it wherever you're hearing this podcast. Welcome back to the Up North Lowdown. I'm Max Copeland. We learned this week that the University of Michigan will be headed to the Rose Bowl. The football team will face Alabama on January 1st, so no doubt the players will spend the time getting ready. But the marching band will also have some work to do. The Tournament of Roses Parade stretches more than five miles through Pasadena, California, which is a long way to walk, let alone march while carrying heavy instruments. What you're listening to now is a composition from 1955 made for the Michigan Marching Band. It's called the Block M March. It was written by Jerry Billick, 
an alum of the band who eventually became the group's chief composer under the leadership of the legendary and sometimes terrifying director, William Ravelli. A lot of, of the people in Michigan could never get over his toughness, but he wasn't, it wasn't unreasonable. He was totally dedicated to making each, each of his students uh, excel to the absolute limit uh, of their ability. And it certainly worked for me and many others. It certainly did. Billick would go on to a long career in music as a composer for wind bands and television, among other things. He also spent decades as a creative director for Disney on Ice, the figure skating show that tours the world to this day. And at age 90, he is still working and still arranging music for the Michigan Marching Band. But before any of that, he was a camper right here in northern Michigan at the Interlochen Center for the Arts. Back then in 1947, it was called the National Music Camp. And he talked about his time in Interlochen with IPR music director Amanda Sewell. You came to Interlochen's National Music Camp for the first time in 1947. How did a 13-year-old from New York wind up here in northern Michigan? Well, the band director uh, had posted uh, an advertisement about Interlochen in our band room in New Rochelle High School. And I was very much taken by the beautiful picture of the lake and the pine trees and the blue skies. And it happened there was quite a lovely young woman playing the harp right in the <laughs> middle of the picture really the whole the whole environment <laughs> was yeah. appealing actually to you. actually it was the harp player who i did it i never met and she probably wasn't even there when i got there but uh <laughs> i actually what happened uh so remember i was 13 so uh hormones were raging uh, and i talked to the band director and it happened that the principal trumpet player of our school band was planning to go. And uh, just, I had talked to the band director and to my parents, and they thought it might be good because I wasn't good at anything except music. <laughs> I was No, I was terrible. I was horrible at sports, not good at anything really. Um, but I did love music, and I would sit for hours uh, playing, improvising on the piano. Uh, and so they thought it might be useful. Maybe I would get some discipline or something. Yeah, well, I think they were right because I'm looking, um, I'm holding in my hands right here, this is the score of um, the, the first piece you ever wrote, right? And you wrote it here at Interlochen that first summer in 1947. Yes. But you'd never composed a piece before. And I'm looking at, let's see, this is for... Flute, oboe, clarinet, bassoon, trumpet, horn, trombone, percussion, uh, violins, cellos, bass. You forgot the viola there, sir. <laughs> um, I, I didn't. Wait. In fact, it's a very funny story. I didn't forget it. The, uh, the piece, as you probably know, was recorded by an orchestra that summer. And at the recording session, or as a broadcast, I guess, uh, the orchestra, you know, the conductor said uh, it was Bill Boyer. He said, Jerry, uh, the viola players are looking for their part. And I said, I, I said, remember, I was 13. I said, I don't, I didn't feel the color of the viola fit with what I was writing. <laughs> it was a total lie because I had no idea how to write something in alto club. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> 
But that's what I said. I told you I wasn't a very good kid at that time. So. I, I'm going to refer here to a quote that you gave to Seventeen magazine in the summer of 1947. They were at camp doing a profile. You're actually the lead the lead quote in their article. And you told them you ended up in the music theory class because you had an opening at 3.30 in the afternoon and, and needed to put something in there. <laughs> Right. Uh, I did say that. That, by the way, was another lie. <laughs> this is what happened. Um, that year was the first year in and had an intermediate division. And so they were making up things as the summer went along. And I guess a couple of weeks in, they announced they were going to give a composition class. And I was, you know, I was really looking for harp players. I wasn't really thinking about <laughs> uh, composition. And they said, so we're going to have this composition class, beginning composition class in building I-10. And then I said to myself, I-10? That's a building in intermediate girls' camp. (laughs) And I remember that that building is right next to the intermediate girls' tennis courts. And I said, all the girls at Interlock can wear knickers but they don't wear knickers when they're playing tennis. <laughs> so I think I will take this class. And I took the class and I got a seat right next to the window. I don't think I-10 is there anymore. And I know the tennis courts aren't there anymore. It's just an open space. Uh, and I sat looking out the window, basically, for the first few days, at least. So that, that's how it really happened. Uh it was the attraction was where the class was as opposed to what the class was. Isn't it, that awful? I'm <laughs> I'm ruining my image. It sounds uh, it sounds pretty expected for for a teenage boy, and I'm sure you're not the first teenager to come to camp at Interlochen uh, who wound up in a class because they were uh, in hot pursuit of something other than knowledge. Yes, but at some point you started paying attention because you learned how to compose. This is where the magic of Interlochen uh, took hold. Um, They took us, the Intermediate Boys, to a concert in the bowl, and the concert was Mozart Requiem. And about halfway through, they were doing a section of the Requiem called the Recordare. And I I can't really tell you why or how it happened, but I had a metamorphosis i was completely carried away by the music physically i don't you know it was like i started an out-of-body experience and i i can't describe it and of course it was a long time ago but i was stunned by how it had affected me of being in the bowl under the pine trees and the sun going down. It was a transformative experience. And I said, if Mozart 
could do to someone what he just did to me, I am going to spend the rest of my life trying to do that to other people because it was not only transformative, but it was so elevating and so ennobling and so, I can't, soulful, I guess you would call it. And at that moment, as you said, the next day in, in class, I started writing. Jerry Billick, talking with IPR music director Amanda Sewell. You can hear their full conversation on the classical IPR podcast, Studio A. Okay, let's recap some of the other stories making news this week in Michigan. Ethan Crumbly, the teenager who murdered four classmates and wounded several others in a mass shooting at Oxford High School in 2021, has been sentenced to life in prison without parole. He pleaded guilty last year to one count of terrorism causing death, four counts of first-degree murder, and 19 other charges. Loved ones of the victims and those injured gave emotional testimony as they urged the judge to give Crumbly the harshest sentence possible. Before the sentencing, Crumbly told the court he is, quote, a really bad person, and he asked the judge to give those left behind what they want. Any sentence that they ask for, I ask that you do impose it on me because I want them to be happy and I want them to feel secure and safe, and I do not want them to worry another day. So I really am sorry for what I've done, for what I've taken of them. Judge Kwame Rowe says evidence of an obsession with violence and advanced planning ahead of the shooting informed his ruling. Crumbly's court-appointed attorneys say he has already signed the paperwork to appeal the sentence. Muslim leaders from key swing states, including Michigan, met in Dearborn recently to announce they're opposing President Joe Biden's bid for re-election. They are upset with the administration's support of Israel during the war with Hamas and with Biden's refusal to support a lasting ceasefire. The death toll from the conflict is over 10,000 people and more than 1.5 million have been displaced. For the first time since the mid-90s, it will be easier for Michiganders to sue drug companies. Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed a repeal of the state's controversial drug immunity law. The law was intended to make Michigan more attractive to the biomedical industry, but it prevented Michiganders from filing lawsuits that were permitted in the other 49 states. The repeal received bipartisan support in the Michigan legislature. Governor Whitmer is also telling state departments and agencies to speed up the pace at which they transition to zero-emission vehicles. The governor's directive applies only to the executive branch and requires Michigan's vehicle fleet to be made up of zero-emission vehicles by 2040. Right now, the state has about 8,700 vehicles in its fleet, with just three Chevy Volts and four EV trucks in order. Two up-north tribes are among four in Michigan who are getting funding to improve recycling and waste management. The money from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency will help places like the Bay Mills Indian community in the Upper Peninsula build a new waste transfer station, hopefully making it easier for people to recycle and cutting down on greenhouse gas emissions in the process. Bay Mills is getting $970,000 for the effort. The Little Traverse Bay Band of Odawa Indians is getting $240,000 for recycling and other programs. And that's it for the Up North Lowdown this week. I'm Max Copeland. This episode was edited by Ed Ronco. 
We had contributions from Michael Livingston, Izzy Ross, Tyler Thompson, Amanda Sewell, Rick Pluta, Colin Jackson, Steve Carmody, and Quinn Kleinfelter. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions, with a few bits of Jerry Bellick in there as well. Also, if you love this podcast, consider becoming a supporter. During the month of December, in honor of our 60-year anniversary and the annual season of giving, some friends of IPR have pooled their money together to incentivize your donation. Between now and the end of the year, a gift of any amount will unlock an additional $60 for the station. You can give right now at iprnews.org. If you can afford to, this is a great opportunity to make your gift go that much further. But either way, we're just glad you're here. For our Sonic send-off this week, I think we've heard enough from U of M for one episode. MSU recently announced a new head football coach. Jonathan Smith is leaving Oregon State to become a Spartan. So in the name of journalistic fairness, I couldn't help but leave you this week with the Spartan marching band playing their fight song, Victory for MSU. Thanks for listening, and have a great week. A new Final Fantasy title inspires as much excitement for its soundtrack as for the game itself, and 2023's Final Fantasy XVI is no exception. Lead composer Masayoshi Soken evokes this dark fantasy tale with a score of mythical scale, combining orchestra, choirs, electronics, and more. I'm Keith Brown. Join me for the music of Final Fantasy XVI this week on Gameplay. You can stream full episodes of Gameplay on demand and view playlists at GameplayShow.org.